Hey, this is Ken Coleman, and you're listening to Relationships and Revenue with John Hewlett. Life is all about relationships, and great leaders heavily invest in those relationships. On the Relationships and Revenue podcast, we talk about how to improve our most significant relationships at home so we can be better in our business relationships. We talk with experts from all over the world representing many disciplines about the best tips and strategies to become amazing people and amazing leaders. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. This is your host, John Hewlin. As always, thrilled that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time with me today. And as you heard from that intro, I have the one and only Ken Coleman with me today. Ken, how are you? Man, I'm having a blast and good to talk with you. Excited about our conversation. I am as well. Thanks for being here, Ken. Yeah. Now, if it's possible, I know most of you who watch and or listen to the podcast are entrepreneurs. So I don't even know that it's possible that you don't know who Ken is, but on the off chance that you don't, let me do a little bit of telling you about Ken. Uh, Ken is known as America's career coach. Uh, he helps people do what they were created to do. Co-host of the, I believe, number two ranked syndicated show on the radio. Is that correct, Ken? Yeah. The Ramsey yeah. show? Yeah. Okay. Of course, he's got his own podcast, The Ken Coleman Show, which is fantastic. I love paying attention to that. In fact, I just, the call-in part of it is so much fun. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's extremely entertaining. At least it is for me. <laughs> he's a best-selling author uh, of two books, Proximity Principle the and, let's see, From Paycheck to Purpose. Those are the two. Correct, Ken? That's right. You got it. Okay. Now, I have been fortunate enough. I have read The Proximity Principle, which I loved. and. Uh, you know, one of the things that I started doing, Ken, recently, like within the last five years, and I wish I know why it took me so long to figure this out. I'm the kind of person, I'm an avid reader. I read all the time. And I'm a very excitable reader, which means when I read something, I really like it. I talk about it all the time. Well, other people get excited about me being excited and they want to read it and ask if they can borrow. So I give the book expecting to get it back. More times than not, I don't. And I would get frustrated. So I had an epiphany one day. Start buying two. Every time. And that's what I do now, Ken. I always buy two, one for me and on purpose, one to give away. Because the coolest thing is when I find out about how many times the book's been passed. Uh, a book by uh, Chip and Dan Heath. I, I passed that book a few years back. And to my knowledge, it had been passed seven times on three continents. Wow. Yeah. So it, there is power in books for sure. Yes. For they, sure. Books can change lives for sure, as I'm sure you well know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I listen. I read probably an average of about two books a month, you know, wow. uh, so whether that be a biography or some type of uh, other topic that I'm interested in. And I think that, that reading um, is one of the ways that we continually are growing because we are forcing ourselves to expand our mind in the sense of learning and then expand our perspective. And, and that helps us drive ourselves to, I think, a deeper foundation in what we believe and why we believe. Mm. Two very important things. Absolutely. Yeah. So take us back a little bit, if you would, Ken, uh, again, share as much as you're comfortable with sharing, but I want to know, how did you get to where you are today? Cause you didn't just wake up one day and just become this guy who's doing this nationally syndicated radio show. I mean, you started somewhere. I know you got to start in politics, but it didn't just kind of 
happen that way. So help us understand more about how you got to where you are today. Wow. Uh, I can't really cover all of that or we'll, we'll put people <laughs> to sleep because that's a really long story. And I think that's the important point that I want to make is that um, this did not happen. Over, it happened over a nine year period mm. of from, you know, starting out with the restlessness, a frustration. Some days it felt like desperation. What am I supposed to be doing with my life? What I'm doing right now is not it. Uh, there's more. I know I'm made for more. My heart longs for some things that I've yet to really chase. And so that began the journey of self-discovery. And then from there to figure out which mountain do I want to climb, you know, mm. and then how would I climb that mountain? How would I get there? So broadcasting, what type of broadcast? Mm. Uh, you know, what area, what topic, what are you going to be talking about? Are you there to entertain? Are you there to provoke? You know, you start to go through all those things in the journey and you are looking essentially for that tuning fork to go off inside your heart. Like, ah, that's it. And so through that process, uh, you know, knew I wanted to move in personal growth and the commentary and the, the world as it relates to what keeps people from living the life that they desire to live. Mm. You know, living a life of purpose, uh, yeah. relationally, financially, professionally. And so as I began to figure out more and more and more and just pursue just the craft itself of broadcasting to learn how to be a, a really good interviewer, to learn how to do radio, to craft a message and deliver it eight minutes or six minutes, you know, all those disciplines, learn how to speak, learn how to write. All of that was a part of the journey. And uh, it's about a nine-year process to step into this role that I would call a dream job. I don't believe there's only one dream job. I mean, there's multiple dream jobs defined by, am I using what I do best to do what I love to produce results that matter to me? Hmm. Those, those are the three elements, talent, what I do best, passion, what I love to do, mission, results that motivate me. And so hmm. developed all of that methodology, which is in the book from Paycheck. And a part of the assessment, I created an assessment that measures those three elements. It's not a personality profile. It's uh, it's Strength Finders 2.0 on steroids. Oh, sweet. Um, Strength Finder only measures strengths. Mm. Clear assessment measures what work lights my heart up and then what results motivate me. Those are two very different things. And when you can understand those three elements, talent, passion, and mission, how they intersect together, then you can see all the different types of work where you can get tremendous meaning and also deliver great results. And so all that was a process of just self-discovery, learning my frustrations, what I learned along the way. And that's what informs everything I do from the Ken Coleman show to the assessment, the Get Clear assessment, to the two best-selling books, Proximity Principle and Paycheck to Purpose. All of that is informed by my own journey, mm. my own pain points and my own solutions that I now give to people to say, hey, you can discover and do what you were born to do, uh, but you're going to deal with a whole lot of pain and you got to figure out what's causing that pain uh, <laughs> and frustration that's holding you back. And, and so it, it's just been nothing more than honestly, um, discipline to not quit based on uh, a deep abiding desire to make a unique difference and chasing that uh, to the best of my ability to make as much difference as possible. There's no fancy. It's just not quitting. It's just doing hard things, doing scary things, and learning from both. Sure, sure. Now, I'm curious in this process of uh, in the early days when you were transitioning out of what you were into into the broadcasting world, what was support like at home? 
Well, I've always had great support at home going all the way back to my childhood, the environment mm. I grew up in. I had a two parent home for that. Uh, my mom and dad challenged me to make the most of my life, to mm. make a difference in the world. And then my wife, Stacy, has always been my just absolutely willing to fold the tent up and move when we needed to move. Mm. Uh, my number one counselor, my number one cheerleader, my number one coach. Mm. She's just such a great support to me. Uh, my kids, I got great kids. So, you know, mm. home for me has always been a place of safety and a place of inspiration. Uh, mm. That's just, I've been blessed to have that. I know a lot of people don't have that. And I, mm. and I want to call that out. Yeah. Uh, I've always had a very supportive base. Uh, and, I'm, and that's had a tremendous, the willingness to try, the willingness to. I love that. And, you know, I think it's really great how you're willing to try new things. You're willing to fail, if you will. Um, and what an impact that makes on our kids when we do that. Um, you know, I, for me, and I realize I'm about to make a little bit of commentary here, but folks who pay attention to this show know this is not going to be something new I'm saying. Um, the education system in this country sets kids up for failure. I mean, long-term failure. It's, I mean, when we give those letter grades, we say F fail means bad, but really life teaches you failing is a good thing because it provides the opportunity to learn and grow. And so I love that that's what you're doing in front of your kids. Have you noticed that making an impact on them? Well, you know, it's, it's uh, certainly, I think, I think in different seasons, you see more impact than others. You know, I've got, they're all three teenagers right now. Um, okay. And so I hope to see that really play out as they move on and yeah. they, they leave the nest and they go do their thing. I certainly have modeled hard work for them. I've mm -hmm. modeled uh, taking chances. Mm -hmm. um, I have modeled, uh, you know, deep belief and consistency on what I say and what I do. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I've seen the impact in that, you know, they realize we're not going to let them quit unless it's a good reason. You know, there are good yeah. reasons to quit. There are obvious times in our life where we say this, this needs to quit. They're like, this is, there's no reason in going forward here. So yeah, they've seen that. And I, I think we'll see the fruits of that as they get much older, but uh, it's more about being consistent right now. Uh, and them seeing that I care more about them than I do my professional success that mm, they've seen, yeah. you know, they know that they're first I've had to miss some things, but not a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. but I don't walk into the house and talk about, you know, oh, I was in New York doing this media. They don't care. <laughs> right. uh, they, they, they just don't. I mean, and so <laughs> I don't make a big deal out of it. And, yeah. um, and they see my Instagram stuff. They see my TikTok stuff. My boys, you know, I, I was my my seventeen year old had a buddy over at the house a couple of weeks ago, and uh, this is pretty funny. And to me, it's funny. He his buddy was in there. I said, "Hey, you know, how you doing?" And I said the kid's name. You know, he's like, "Hey, Mr. Coleman." I said, "You guys go to the wrestling match today?" Yeah. yeah. I said, "How was it?" He goes, "It was good." He goes, uh, "Ty was pretty bored until he was scrolling through TikTok and your videos popped up." And I said, "Really?" He's like, "Yeah." He was laughing like TikTok suggested his dad's videos, you know, and so I know they see the videos that I put out. I know they see the posts. And so they know what I do. Yeah. They know why I do it. They know what I believe. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to have an impact on them. They know I care for them and they know what I believe about living on purpose and hard work. So we'll, you know, we'll see how it plays out. But they're seeing it and hearing it, even though they don't acknowledge it. Because honestly, <laughs> I'm not cool. I'm their dad. You know, right. they don't, they're not caught up at all that, which is good, by the way. Oh, yeah. 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 I understand. Yeah. I, I don't know. 
I don't know when the age is, but it seems like it's sometime just prior to maybe preteen. You're still kind of cool at that point. But once the preteen stuff hits, you're like, okay, no, dad's not cool anymore. Yeah. I my, I think it was about sixth or seventh grade for me, for my boys. Yeah. They were like, yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah. So I flamed, I flamed out early, <laughs> pretty early, man. Now they don't even want you to be in the same place with like the same. Oh, yeah. Like, like I told my boys last week, I'm going to come watch you coach your flag football games. They're coaching little kids as a part of their mm. football service community. Okay. They were like, did you come watch coach? <laughs> and I was like, because I'm proud of you. And they're like looking at each other. Like I got <laughs> horns growing out of my head. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. very normal. I'm told. Yeah. My oldest is 22 and he's graduating from college this year. And so my, my mom continues to encourage me. It's like about 25, you're going to get smart again. And he's going to start talking to you. So 100%. There's a great quote on that. Mark Twain said something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing. I may not have this exactly right, but Mark Twain said when the 18-year-old boy left his house, he couldn't believe how stupid his dad was. He returned four years later and couldn't believe how much his dad had learned. (laughs) And I I think that's really true. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's jump into at least uh, the most recent of your books from, uh, from Paycheck to Purpose. So- you know, I, I got to ask some of the obvious questions. Uh, why write, write the book? Meaning, who are you trying to speak to through the book? I'm trying to speak to anybody who is in a place of questioning, what should I do with my life? Okay. Uh, a person who is feeling uh, uncertain, a person who is feeling stuck, meaning they, they kind of know where they yeah. want to go, but they're not quite sure how to get there or they know how to get there, uh, but they're dealing with fear and doubt. Uh, so the book is for somebody who's who's looking at this world of work and they're looking at their life and and they're just not where they want to be. They, there's a gap between where they are and where they want to be. And I'm helping them see that this is not just about work. This is about the contribution that you were born to make. Mm-hmm. Everybody was put on this planet to make a difference. And this book is for that person who's not sure what the difference is or they know what it is. They don't know how to get there. Yeah. And you go through uh, seven different stages in the book, correct? Yeah, there are seven stages that illustrate what a clear path to living on purpose looks like. Get mm. clear, get qualified, get connected, get started, get promoted, get the dream job, give yourself away. And mm. from that standpoint, the path is about professional growth, but it is about rowing on purpose so that you're getting a paycheck, but you're also getting so much more, which is that meaning and purpose mm. in seeing that your work is making a difference the way that you want it to make. And so that's the idea. And so each of those seven stages allow you to see what's the climb look like if we were to say, dream job, is that actually a thing? Is that a unicorn? Because <laughs> a lot of people feel like a dream job is actually the thing that you can't do. So I'll pick on me. Mm. Um, I'm five foot nine in shoes. Uh, I love the game of basketball, <laughs> but I think we can all say, I'm never going to make it to the NBA. And so they look at, well, Ken playing in the NBA is a dream job. No, it's not. Mm. That's a fantasy that has no shot of ever happening. <laughs> okay. A dream job is where I feel as though I was meant to do this. Mm. And I described that earlier. A dream job is where I'm spending most of my day using what I do best, my talent, to do what I love, passion, to produce results that matter to me, mission. And I'm doing it in a place that's healthy, where I'm cared for mm-hmm. and I'm developed and given an opportunity. That's, that's all that is. It's a feels like a dream, right? Mm-hmm. Because I know what sucky jobs look feel like, you know? 
For sure. You know, one of the things that you talk about uh, stuck, as in being stuck, and you have this this phrase, and I want you to kind of unpack it for us. Being stuck is a choice. Well, Explain that for us. Yeah, well, so years ago, I was um, at a uh, youth event at my church with my son, and it was one of those obstacle courses or whatever, you know, and they're running all over the place. And I'm, and I'm, I'm filming him you know, for, for my <laughs> wife because she couldn't be there. And so I've got the iPhone out and I'm watching him run this course and he's running this way up ladders down and he crawls through a, a tunnel. And then they come up to this part where it's a big mud, you know, they basically mm. just dumped water for 48 hours and it's flipped it. And I see him running across and kids are going down deep in it and they're struggling, mm. you know, and he runs in it and he happened to just hit the softest, softest part of this thing. And I mean, he went down <laughs> and he's up to his armpit, you know, wow. and of course, you know, his buddies are looking at him ha, 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 and they keep running and I can see him struggling to get out mm. and he could not get out. Like he was, you know, he just, he was so deep and he was at an awkward angle and he couldn't get out. And here I'm sitting there. Mm-hmm. And so I looked around, made sure all his buddies were gone. Cause I knew he was already embarrassed. Sure. And I put the phone up and I run over. And I reached down with my hand and I say, Ty, I can get you out, grab my hand. And so he did. And I slowly got him out enough to where he could crawl out. Mm. Now, my son was stuck. Yeah. In that situation, he was stuck. And he was stuck because he was unable to get out of that situation on his own. Mm. But when I say to people, this phrase you're talking about, that you aren't stuck, you've chosen to stay put. What I'm saying is, mm. is that you can actually get out of this rut that you have created for yourself. And so what that means is, is that you have chosen to stay put because of one of three things and maybe all three of these. Fear, that's worrying about something bad happening. Doubt, that's not believing that something good can happen. Pride, you care more about what other people think than what you believe. Mm. Now, those are voices that have taken up residence inside of your head and they have quieted your heart. Your heart's going, Move, move forward, do it, go for it, be this, do this, love this person. Yeah, that's what the heart's saying and the brain's going, whoa, 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 right? Fear, doubt, pride. And so what happens is, is those voices become excuses that we then justify. And then we just go, oh, I'm stuck. I feel so stuck. Well, the reality is, is you aren't stuck. My son was stuck. Yeah. He could not get out on his own. You aren't stuck. What you are is complacent. You have Ooh. chosen to stay put because you mm. don't want to deal with your fear, your doubt, and your pride. Mm. All right. So that begs this next question. If we've identified that, how do we go about quieting those voices that are at this point much louder than what our heart is saying? How do we learn how to quiet those down so we can actually hear the sound of our heartbeat? Yeah. Well, what you have to do is, is you have to expose the voice. Okay. And you got to get it out, get it out of your head. I would literally write this down from a very practical standpoint. I would write down what you're thinking, what Mm. you're feeling. Okay. And so if it's a fear, I am worried that something bad is going to then get it out and then go, where is the evidence that this fear of something bad happening, that it has a high probability of happening? Mm. If it has a high probability of happening, well, then listen to it. But if it doesn't have a high probability of happening, now you know you're just worried about something that has a very small chance of happening. Mm. And so that's the idea. We just have to use our good old-fashioned common sense, but we have to be willing to confront 
the fact that we're scared or we're doubtful or that we're prideful. So let's use the example of pride for a minute. I'm more worried about what other people might think or say than I, I mean, I care more about what they'll think or say than what I believe. And so they're going to, so let's go back to my journey. So here I am, early thirties, very successful in business, had a background in politics. Anybody that knew me knew that I was preparing to eventually run one day. And all of a sudden I'm going to tell everybody that I'm not going to do politics. I'm going to go into broadcasting. And I have no degree in broadcasting and no experience. Pride says, and this is straight from my story, people are going to think that you're having an early midlife crisis. <laughs> They're going to think you're delusional, that you've lost your mind. They're going to talk about you behind your back. He's too old. Mm. So when I would fixate on that, what people might think about me and what people might say about me, instead of what my heart longs to do and examining that. So now I have created excuses for not doing it. Well. People are going to think I'm crazy. Maybe I am crazy. Maybe I am too old. You know, all these kind of things. And so, so what do you have to do is you have to say, all right, will people actually say that? Will they think it? I don't know. I'll never know their thoughts. Why am I obsessing about something they may never tell me? Right. And if they did tell me, and I had some friends tell me they thought I was too old, but they didn't Mm -hmm. discourage me. They just went, here's my honest opinion. I think it's going to be really hard, long shot. And and it was. Uh, But um, the point is, is that I've got to examine the thought and say, is there any evidence to support that this thought is sound or is this thought incomplete? Mm. Is it incorrect? And so that's the idea. So figure out, and listen, sometimes fear is there for a good reason, but sometimes <laughs> it's not. And sometimes doubt is there for a good reason. And sometimes it's not, you know, so if I, if I got a bunch of people hanging out with, with my kids and my, and my kids get their buddies out shooting hoops in the backyard and I walk out and I go, Hey guys, check this out. I'm going to dunk the ball. And right before I try to dunk the ball, I'm overcome with doubt. I can tell you that my doubt is protecting me from mass humiliation because I can't (laughs) dunk the ball. And you know what I'm saying? So silly example, but if doubt says, I don't know if this is a good decision to buy this. Mm. Okay. What's driving the doubt? What's the evidence? I don't have enough of a down payment. It's really going to stretch us financially. You know, you start walking through why I have doubt and you go, oh, thank you, doubt. This was good old common sense telling me. This is not a good idea. And so all it is, is get the voices out of the head, get it out on paper, examine it yourself, find evidence for it. Is it telling you the truth? Is it lying? And go get some feedback from other people who are very objective. You do that, then you'll be able to overcome fear, doubt, and pride. Nice. And folks, this is just a reminder. I mean, Ken kind of laid it out for you in very specific examples, but in a much more general way, this is why I talk about journaling all the time. You guys hear me talk about it. It is one of the top habits of the best leaders out there. They journal. We journal. I do it all the time. It, if for nothing else, it just, it helps keep the voices quiet. Not that I have lots of voices. I'm not saying that, but it keeps them at bay so I can get moving forward with things that I need to do. And the same thing you're talking about with fear there, because fear sometimes can talk so loud that no rational thought gets through. I'm curious. Um, I don't ask all my guests this, but I feel fairly confident in asking you this question. Um, what impact does your faith have on your business? Everything. It's the foundation for everything that I do. So anything that I teach from a methodology standpoint is informed by a philosophy that is based on theology. So I don't make any bones about it. I, you know, I'm constantly talking on my show that you were created to Mm -hmm. contribute. Uh, that implies that there's a creator and I'm not bashful about that. Uh, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Without my faith, there have been so many times where I stepped out in faith and God stepped in 
because that's kind of what he wants us to do. And um, so, yeah, it's the foundation for everything that I that I believe and everything that I say. Mm. You know, one of the things that I that I encounter as a Jesus follower and also a business owner is people ask me, how can you talk about your faith in business? And what I come back with all the time is, how could I not? Because as you said, for me, it's not one of the many boxes that I have in my life. Faith isn't just one more thing. It uh, infiltrates everything. It is It is in, it, it is who I am, not what I do, if that makes sense. I'm not even sure if I'm saying that in the right way, sure. but that that's what it is for me. And that's how I try to explain it to people who don't have that background. That's why it's confusing to people who aren't. It's not clear to them. Of course, this is a bit of a theological dive. So for those of you who are not used to me talking this way, I apologize, but it's a part of who I am. They can't see it. They can't understand it because the Holy Spirit hasn't allowed them to be able to see it and hear it yet. I say yet because I think it's coming. It's just a matter of time. He's just choosing to use me in this moment and you in this moment to help provide extra, we'll call it water for the soil. Yeah. I, I mean, look, uh, I don't think I can add much to that. I think it comes down to everybody at some point has got to make their own journey of faith and they've got to decide, what, why am I here behind all of this? And I think it yeah. takes a greater step of faith to believe that there's not a God than uh, to believe that there is a God. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you... You just got to get to that journey on your own. That's a, that's a that's a that's a process by which uh, you've got to seek it out, and then at some point, any person of faith, uh, a Christian who believes Scripture the way that it's written, believes that every person has to come to that conclusion on their own. They got to choose to believe. Like, this is all about faith. the whole story, whole everything is about. I'm choosing to believe that this is real. That yeah. this is in fact absolute. This show is called Relationships and Revenue. So believe it or not, we talk about more than just the money side of things or the business side of things. We talk about relationships because it's my belief that if you want to have the best business possible, it starts at home. And what your relationships are like at home, that bleeds into work. So with that as a backdrop, let me ask you this. What is it that you're doing right now, Ken, to build into, to make better, to improve your relationships at home? And what impact do those relationships have on your business? Well, you know, it's it's not some big grand strategy. I'm just trying to be the best husband that I can be. And that means paying attention to what's going on with Stacey. Mm -hmm. You know, where is she, where is she winning? Where is she struggling? You know, uh, everything from the physical to the spiritual to just being a mom. And all the stuff she's dealing with as the CEO of our house. Mm -hmm. How am I supporting her? Uh, how am I being her helpmate? Mm -hmm. And I think if you're just present and you keep the questions pretty simple there, you know, how are we doing? You know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, those two questions for a husband, they, they do a lot for you. If you just leave it at that, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. How are we doing? And, uh, uh, how can I be helping and serving you and being a part of what's going on here at the home? Uh, I'm very uh, present when I'm home. I'm not uh, working, and, you know, distracted from everybody else. Um, and then as far as the kids go, you know, over the last couple of years, I've tried to adapt how I was parenting because I grew up playing sports. Uh, I, to this day, have great relationships with some of my past coaches. In fact, mm. Saturday night, I got a phone call from my 65-year-old 
former high school basketball coach who had just had his knee replaced. And I'd called him two days earlier uh, to check on him, he left him a voicemail. And he called me two days later. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I write about him in both my books, coach Benny Polk. He's in both books yeah. and, and that's who it was. And, and, uh, you know, my favorite coach of all time did so much for my confidence. And, mm-hmm. uh, we both love the game of basketball. And so we spent time catching up and at the very end of the conversation. I, I didn't even think about it. And I just said, well, coach, I love you. He was like, I love you too, man. And that's how he talked. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, I told my wife, I said, and, you know, she was like, oh, you know, and I, and I just said, yeah. you know, uh, coaches mean, I've got so many stories. I could tell you about three or four more stories of coaches that have had tremendous impact on my life and I've stayed mm. coaching. But uh, all that to say, I admired and mm. some of the people I look up to even now are very successful coaches. I, mm. I just love coaches. I love coaching. I do mm. that on my show. Yeah. Uh, I coached all my kids. Mm. Uh, I coached kids in college. When I was in college, everybody else was working at Applebee's mm. and I went to the YMCA and applied for a job. Oh, wow. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause I wanted to coach. I was like, Hey, I'll coach soccer. I'll coach basketball. Those are two sports I know really, really well and played. Yeah. And so that's how I made money was coaching in college. Cool. And uh, so anyway, all that to say, I, I parented as a coach for a long time. Didn't work. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, what I would say to this question is if there's anybody that's kind of wired like me, uh, I realized a couple of years ago that I was parenting like a coach. And on the surface, some of you may go, well, that's pretty good. And, 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 but it isn't in that sometimes your kids don't need to be equipped. Sometimes they don't need to be encouraged. Sometimes they just need to be loved. And mm. the coach is first and foremost, equipping you, instructing, training you, uh, encouraging you on the journey. And sometimes your kids just need you to be dad and not give them any advice, <laughs> not give them any encouragement. They just need you to sit there and color mm. or play mad. And uh, I took it too far because I coach all day long. I'm instructing people all day long. And I got adults who say very nice things to me all day long. Thank you for your <laughs> advice, Ken. I mean, I, I do an advice show. Yeah. And so I was doing that with my kids and, and it just was too much, too intense. And I was trying to, and I don't mean like, in, you know, like do pushups. I just mean like leaning in too much and trying to yeah. fix and all this. And, and uh, so I've since learned that I became a control freak and that uh, there's very little you can control <laughs> yeah. as a parent. And so I, I know this is a long-winded answer, but I, I am, my relationship with my wife is better. Because I've simplified everything else down to what I said about how I interact with her. And mm. I've also seen things are better with my, my parenting. I'm less frustrated because I'm realizing there's very little I can control. Mm. And uh, I'm willing to let my kids fail. I'm yeah. willing to let them hurt. And I'll be there. Mm. But they're going to learn more by screwing up what I told them not to screw up <laughs> than if I just taught them so well that they never screw Oh yeah. Just learn so much more in life when I go, Hey, I am so sorry that yeah. That's stink. They already know what I believe. <laughs> they already know what I've told them. So that, it's just a different approach from, you know, I don't know. There's just so little you can control. Your kids have got to learn. Yeah, they do. You know, and it's it's easier for them to learn now and unless they're on their own. When they're on their own, man, every mistake you make, it's bigger and more expensive. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's absolutely right. Um, I don't know why it came to me to ask this, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it anyway, because we were talking a little bit about your relationship with Stacy just a moment ago. Uh, 
do you guys have a like a consistent date night, date day, something that's on the books all the time regularly? No, because neither one of us are wired that way. Okay. We're very spontaneous. Oh. So it's so it's not a um, set day. Okay. But we do we do yeah, we do go to dinner together with friends, double date on our own day, uh, spend time together that way. We have a little rituals on the weekends, uh, mm. Saturdays. We spend several hours together in our chairs with our coffee and, you mm. know, kind of stuff, reading and talk. So we do do date nights, absolutely. But is it like every Monday or every Sunday, every Saturday? No, it's kind of like, what do we got going on this week? Hey, you want to go out with them? You want to go play cards with these friends? You Hey, you want to go on a little, uh, little uh, massage and, and pedicure date? You know, whatever. So mm-hmm. we do it, but it's not ritualized. It's just part of our deal. Okay. That makes sense. We're not, we're not scheduled. We're not like scheduled. Hey, it's every Friday we do this. Gotcha. It just happens. We, we are intentional. Good, good. The only reason I ask that is because many times if it's not planned, if it's not on the books, it doesn't happen. Well, I think that's true. And that was, that was absolutely uh, true when the kids were younger. Mm. And so we did need to schedule. As yeah. the kids are older now, they're teenagers. We don't have to worry about a sitter. Yeah, you know, I got one driving. You know, we can leave them at home, and so we're very spontaneous. So, which yeah. makes it more fun, and that's how we're okay. naturally wired. Okay, good, good. Yeah, I yeah, oh that. yeah, it's more fun that. <laughs> it sounds unless, like it. unless you're a planner. If you're a planner and a detail person, that would uh, that would be difficult for someone like that. Oh, I'm sure I've made a lot of people break out in hides. But it works for Stacy. <laughs> good, good. What would you say is your number one go-to daily habit? Uh, it's prayer and scripture. I mean, that's okay. starting every day off with that. Uh, and then probably three cups of coffee after that. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I like to start off calm and reflective mm. because my day is anything but calm, anything but <laughs> reflective. You know, it's uh, yeah. it's yeah. very fast and furious. So I like quiet because I talk all day long. You know, yeah. I've been talking for hours already to before I even got on with you. So, you know, the morning times for me are uh, a centering, mm. reflective time, peaceful before I enter the store. Gotcha. I would say those are the guaranteed habits. And okay. I will say this about three to four times a week, I'm having a very good quality cigar on my bench because that is a evening time tradition. Oh, okay. And that is, that is also a time of peaceful reflection. I'm thinking about my day. Mm. I'm thinking about the next day and I'm just reflecting and relaxing. It's usually by myself, mm. uh, but many times Stacy will come out with me. She likes the way they smell. And, yeah, okay. Uh, and we get a lot of great talk time, but I, I, I enjoy those moments of solitude and silence. Yeah, I could see that. When you think of the word success, what comes to mind? Being the best version of you, uniquely you, that you can be. It's just maxing out on your talent, maxing out on your passion, mm-hmm. maxing out on your mission making the most of your environment, uh, building on your experience. That's the unique combination. Mm. Everybody in the world has got their own unique combination of those five factors. I've been talking about talent, passion, and mission. Mm-hmm. But experience and environment is a huge part of you. Mm. You know, the, the environment you grew up in, the environment you've lived in has shaped you. The experiences you've had along the way have shaped you. And you put all that together and you are really, really unique. And mm. so you're now set up to do something in a way that no one else can do it. And so to me, success is finding that and doing that to the best of your ability. It has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with power. It has nothing to do with fame. It has everything to do with significance. Are you making the significant contribution you were created to make? If you are. That's great. Who is investing in you right now? 
Dave Ramsey's investing a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, literally. Uh, yes. My team, you know, anybody that mm. works with me, you know, mm. I got, we work together. So when they do work that has something that's got my content on it or, mm-hmm. uh, or something they're promoting, they're investing in me. You know, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm looking at a guy right now off camera who's one of my closest friends in the building and he just mm. happens to be a publicist. Yeah. But every time Kurt books me on anything, okay, whether it be an old school newspaper, I know some of you are going, what's a newspaper? It still exists <laughs> to a, uh, a magazine or an online journal or Fox News or this podcast or this YouTube thing. Anytime that he is making an effort to get me on something, mm-hmm. he's investing in yeah. He's investing his time and his talent, okay, because he believes that what I'm going to say, and sometimes maybe it's just his hope, uh, <laughs> that something I'm going to say is going to make an impact. Do you understand what I'm saying? So yeah. I'm not trying to be cute with that answer, but anybody that that supports me in this work is investing. Mm-hmm. My wife is investing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because more than anybody else, really. More so. than anybody else. So, so you know, if you think about what the the word investment, it's that I'm I'm taking some money, right, and I am putting it over here, and I am hoping that that resource of money returns more money back to me. Mm-hmm. So when anybody puts time and love and talent and effort into something, they are invested in hopes that it returns. Yeah. And and that's why I use the example of Kurt. Uh, but you know. Those are the people that are investing, you know, I got friends that invest in me, their time and their encouragement. You know, anytime we sit with a friend, I got a bunch of great guys that I hang out with outside the office mm. and, and, you know, we'll sit around and have cigars and stuff and encourage each other. And I, I spent last Tuesday night, just, just a week ago with some friends uh, and sat around a campfire. It was just he and I, and then his wife joined and we just encouraged each other and we were investing time and we were investing encouragement into mm. each other in hopes that it returns. So that's that's how I'm going to answer that. I love that. Now, I'm going to turn the question a little bit on you this way. How are you investing in you right now? Yeah, well, uh, go back to an earlier answer. My prayer life is, is probably the strongest it's ever been. Uh, reading scripture. I read other people that I am influenced by. Mm-hmm. I read biography uh i'm always learning you know i mean when i come into the office you wouldn't believe the amount of articles i read every day just to prepare for my show so you know give a practical example because i read so much about the world of work and and our cultural system that has just made it so awful for so many people (laughs) um if kurt says to me after this interview is over if he says hey you're gonna be on fox and friends tomorrow morning they want you to do this topic. How do you feel about it? He knows what my answer is. My answer is, yeah, I'm good. I'm ready to go. So every time that I read and prep and, and I study my content and study the world that I'm working in, I'm investing in me so that if I do get a phone call, and I do, and I do these things all the time, that's an investment in me. Now I can go on national media and not be sweating bullets and not be <laughs> cotton mouth and nervous, and I can do a good job, which leads to so much more. Sure. Um, you don't write books. You know what I mean? Without mm-hmm. investing in yourself. These yeah. books are products of my investment in myself, which is yeah. learning, doing, connecting, mm. reflecting. If you do those four things every day, you're going to see a huge return on that investment in yourself. I learn, I do, I connect, and I reflect. So learning is something new every day. I'm learning something, and then I'm going to do something with that. 
I'm going to do something based on everything else I've been learning. And then I'm always trying to connect with people. I'm trying to connect outside of my world, connecting relationships, new people to, to meet, talk to. And then I'm always trying to reflect what worked today, what didn't work today. And what worked, why did it work? And what didn't work, why didn't it work? You know, that those those four things, learn, do, connect, reflect, that's how you invest in me. Oh, love that. That sounds like something we need to be quoting. <laughs> and I will. I have no Go doubt. Yeah. Tell me about a time you failed big and what was the end result? Um, the thing that always pops up when people ask me this question is I was early on in the, <laughs> the journey. It was more exploratory into going mm -hmm. into broadcasting. And so I'd never done any real broadcasting and I knew I had to create a demo, you know, so like in the TV world and the radio world, but more in TV, if you're going to get a TV job, you, you got to have a demo. So maybe that's two to three minutes, maybe it's five to seven, but it's got to show you doing this thing. And so I didn't have a TV job. And I was like, how can I prove that I can do this? Well, I had some relationships and I was hustling and connected. And so um, my wife's cousin is a NASCAR reporter oh. uh, for NBC. His name's Marty Snyder. And he's, he's always, you know, he does a lot of stuff for him. So Marty, uh, Stacy called Marty and said, Marty, you got anybody in Atlanta that give Ken a shot, just come in and do some highlights, you know, just, just so he can create a reel. Yeah, and Marty yeah. made a phone call to a guy that he knew who hosted a NASCAR highlight show at Turner Sports right there in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. So we set it up. And this guy's doing Marty, my wife's cousin, a favor. Right. And he says, yeah, come on down Sunday after the show. We'll let you do one of my highlight packages and we'll give you the take. I was like, well, I'd never done highlight. I've watched SportsCenter more than a person should probably be allowed to watch up to that point. <laughs> so I felt relatively confident. And, uh, and so... The, the day comes, I go down there, I got a suit and tie on, I'm ready to go. And so I get down there and his producer says, yeah, uh, and I'm not going to say this host's name because I, I just feel so, to this day, so horrible about this. So he says, hey, so-and-so, uh, I'm his producer. Uh, just watch this last segment because this is what you're going to do. We'll just rerun this and we'll oh. give you his notes and you can do it. And I was kind of still really like, oh, great, fantastic. No clue how hard it is if you've never done it. So I watch him do this and he's seamless, you know, he's talking about this road race and, 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 and uh, I don't know, Panoka, I don't know where, but it's a road course and he's doing this and uh, Mark Mark makes it around this turn, and Jeff Gordon, and I'm going, okay, I watch NASCAR. I got this. This is no problem at all. Well, they get done, puts me in the chair. There's no prep. For I thought yeah. that they were going to go, let me run this through for you a couple of times. Let me show you how to do it. I'm thinking it's a connection over here. They're going to take good care of me and set me up. No, it was just, Hey man. Yeah, so you saw that last segment? Yeah, we're going to let you do that. So these guys are going to take care of me. And the guy just walks off the set. Now, we got a professional Turner sports crew all sitting there, and they're done. They're ready to go. Right. Here's Johnny Rocket. No experience <laughs> at all. They sit me in the chair. They put one of these things in my ear. I never had one of those. And the producer says, can you hear me, Ken? And I'm like, yeah. Things started moving like this. Before I know it, they go, okay, so here we go. And what you've got is you've got your script on the prompter. Do you see that? Do you want to run through that? Because we can run through that real quick. I'm terrified. So you know what I say? No. So then I look down and I've got the notes on paper and they're talking fast. Okay, Ken, here we go in five, four, three, two, one, go. And all of a sudden I hear the noise in my ear and I'm supposed to say what's on the prompter and I'm already three seconds behind. Oh no. Yeah. And the prompter's moving. I'd never worked with the prompter before. I could read quickly, but it just started happening fast. And what I was doing was I was looking at the, the monitor that showed oh. the highlight, but I'm supposed to be just reading the prompter. Uh -oh. If you read the prompter, it makes it look like you're looking at the highlight. 
but I've been watching sports center my whole life. And so I'm just thinking, you know, these guys are like, so I'm over there going, Oh yeah, that's uh, uh, uh. and dude, it was a disaster. Oh wow. And I got so nervous, barely opened my lips. I had no liquid in my mouth mm. and I get done with this thing. And I look at these guys and I'm like making excuses guys. I'm sorry. I've never done this before. And the guy goes, hey, no problem. No problem. Uh, all you need to do is just read the prompt. You just, just follow the prompt or try to keep your eyes off the thing. You know, we got the pacing down. He's on it. And I just, I didn't hear a word he said because I'm just so humiliated. Mm. And uh, I ended up getting through it and doing a better job, but it was still bad. And I never could quite get comfortable because I was so humiliated the first effort mm. and everybody looking at me and these people want to go home. And so I just shut it down after a m- mediocre at best take. Mm. And that day I learned a valuable one. It's okay to ask questions, whether they want to answer them or not. You got to ask questions. You got to do run throughs. You got to do rehearsals. You got to prepare. You don't just come in and just shoot from the hip. And I learned a valuable lesson. That it was a yeah. lot harder than I thought. And I also needed to say, no, I'm not ready. Mm. You explain this to me. Three or four questions would have established, you know what? If you just read and follow the prompter, you're going to be gold. And had I done that, I would have been mm. fine. But yeah. I didn't. And uh, so, you know, that's that was a pretty humiliating situation. I wanted to crawl under the desk and never leave. <laughs> I could imagine. I could imagine. Yeah. I write about um, that in much more detail in the book, uh, an excruciatingly detailed story mm, of great no. humor. Now I can now look back and look bear. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad you at least can laugh a little bit at what happened before. Well, it, listen, I don't mind laughing at myself, but I still think back on how painful it was and how rookie I was. And I just didn't handle the situation. Well, I just allowed my ego to get in the way and I, I didn't you know, handle it the way. Oh man, we, we've all been there. Oh, heaven's sake. Oh my gosh. Sometimes multiple times. So (laughs) what would you say are the best and worst parts of your job? Oh, well, best parts of the job are uh, the performance nature where I'm under pressure. I love performing under pressure. I think any performer would tell you that Mm -hmm. it's hard to beat that chemical of I'm (laughs) live, no safety net, answering questions from people. You don't know what's coming at you. Um, pressure is just really, really exciting. I live for it and I perform best when I'm under pressure. Um, and, and that's a fun part, but the most fun is just doing work that encourages people. Yeah. You know, I I mean, it's, it's hard to, to top the reward of doing work that, you know, is helping people. Oh yeah. And what would you say is probably the most challenging part of what you do? Oh yeah. You asked me the worst part of the job. Worst part of the job are meetings. I hate meetings. I, I, (laughs) I could eliminate. If I could eliminate two things, the world would be a better place. I would eliminate meetings, mm-hmm. formal meetings where we all sit around, um, and I would eliminate email. And I think <laughs> both of those two things would make us better communicators and mm. better collaborators. Oh, goodness. That... So I hate meetings and email. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could totally see that. Um, we're getting close to uh, to wrap-up time here. and But before we do that... Uh, do you have anything coming up that you are super excited about, that you're pumped about, that you want to promote? Because this yeah, is where, your time, brother. Where, where are you located? Where's your podcast? Kansas City. You're in Kansas City? I am, man. Look at I just set you up so big. Well, I don't know how many, I don't know how many listeners you have in Kansas City, but um we have an event coming up April the 20th. Um, and uh, I can't remember the venue. It's where the NFL draft is. No, it's probably after. Union Station. Union Station. Super cool theater there. And we're going to be talking uh, about the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Financial life, professional life, personal life. 
and I'm going to be teaching on the formula of how do you get confident to do the thing that you know you want to do. And uh, the event is called Breakthrough. It's April the 20th. That's coming up. And nice. uh, Kurt, will maybe we'll do something with Kurt where we can give your listeners uh, a special podcast discount. We'll give them a okay. discount if they want to come. Uh, same thing, man. If you want to be there, are you planning to be there? Did you, you gotta, you gotta come. I'm, I will figure out a way to do that. Do it. We'll give you a discount. We'll give you a friendly discount there for that. And, uh, if your audience wants that, give a special code. And, uh, I would also say I'm super excited about the get clear assessment. By the way, mm. anybody that, uh, comes to the event, they're going to have an opportunity to get that, uh, oh, as nice. well. And, uh, all of that's all the details, kencolman.com. Uh, if you want to get the ticket, kencolman.com slash events, or if you want to do a special code or whatever, we'll figure that out. We will definitely figure that out for sure. And so, Ken, at the, at the end here, what I do typically with my guests is I do something that's called a final four. It's four right. quick questions. You just tell me the first thing pops in your head. Okay. Number one, and I ask all my guests this, but you, you kind of alluded to this earlier already. Why did God create Ken? Uh, to communicate and equip people to think, feel differently than what the world is telling them to think of, to mm. be uniquely who God created them. Mm. Love that. Question two, what are you doing, reading, or listening to right now that's helping you grow? Uh, I am reading a biography right now on Samuel Adams, and he was uh, a real rabble rouser in the revolution. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm reading about him because he was fearless. Mm. He was fearless and bold. And so that's teaching me a lot about boldness, proclaiming truth. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and I'm reading through the book of Proverbs every day, uh, to kind of reconnect, go deeper, uh, right. in a study I'm doing on the book. So those, those are two things that I'm reading, listening right now. I'm not listening to anything new. I don't have a lot of margin right now. Okay. Um, when I'm in the car, I'll tell you this. I read a story recently that classical music has a really calming and reflective effect on your mm. brain. And so I listen to channel 76 a lot of the times on Sirius X, a classic channel. It's orchestra, Beethoven. And I can't mm. tell you how awesome that is to listen to that in the car, coming to work sometimes and mm. going home. Tonight on the way home, I'll be jamming to some Bach and Beethoven. <laughs> okay. True story. It's absolutely true. It's very calming. Okay. Good to it allows know. allows me to reflect on the way home. So when I get in the house, I'm chill, processed a lot of thoughts. Nice. And uh, I don't know if it's working, but I believe it is. Okay, good. Uh, what do you do for fun? Mm, I play golf. Uh, I play poker with my buddies. Mm. Uh, I go to great dinners with my wife and our couple friends. And uh, we, we try to travel and do a lot of fun things locally as well. Uh, mm. And then we try to try to take some fun trips every year, multiple trips to kind of get new experiences. Nice, nice. What are you most grateful for? Uh, yeah, I have to start with salvation and I have to. I have to say my, my wife and my kids, they celebrate 25 years of marriage. Really Congrats for that. Thank you. Um, my kids are healthy and not rebels. And so I'm grateful <laughs> for that. And then, you know, I'm really grateful to get to do work that I, that I absolutely was put on this planet. I'm very grateful. Last question. What is the number one book that you recommend to people when they ask you a book other than your own books? Well, I never recommend my own books because that's just <laughs> such a pinheaded thing to do. Well, we both know plenty of people who do. So that's a really hard question to answer. I'm not trying to dodge it. Okay. It depends on where they're at in their life. You okay. understand what I'm saying? Like, I don't have like one go to book because if somebody says, Hey, what, what is there a book I'd recommend? You know what I always say back to them? What's that? 
what's a big need? What's an area of your life where you're looking okay. for some growth? And then I then I can recommend. All right. Well, let me let me be more specific in my question then. Great. Rather than rather than book in general, because we talk a lot about leadership on this podcast. What's your number one go to leadership book that you recommend? Yeah. Um, I used to work for John Maxwell. Okay. Uh, years ago, the leadership guru. Yeah. And I think uh, if I was going to recommend uh, one leadership, uh, probably be developing the leader within you. He wrote it a long time ago. He talks about mm -hmm. the five levels of leadership. And I think that the construct that he reveals in that book, the five levels, mm -hmm. uh, that's about as fundamental of a, of a kind of view of leadership that I think mm -hmm. I would recommend because I think it's a starter. I don't think it's the best leadership book ever read. I mean, ever written. I don't know that there is and classify that, <laughs> but I would say that book uh, gives such a framework for what leadership really is. And uh, okay. it's a fabulous book. I mean, John's written so many great books on leadership, but I think that's probably, if I had to rank one of them, that's it. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Well, listen, Ken, I want you to know how much I really appreciate your time Thank today, you, uh, your candor, your willingness to be transparent with us, to be vulnerable with certain parts of our lives that sometimes we'd rather not expose. So thank you for doing that and for being willing to invest in me, but more specifically, the audience here, because we're better because we spent time with you today. Thank you, boss. I appreciate that. Thank you, John, so very much, man. You're doing good work. Keep it up. I appreciate that. And thanks to all of you for tuning in today because you have given me something that is your most precious gift, and that is your time. I know it's a non-renewable resource and you can't get it back. So I don't take that for granted. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for spending time with us. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlin. Thanks again for listening. And remember, passion gets you started. Purpose keeps you going. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Bye.